we're going to continue this morning in Corinthians. Today we're talking about lovers. Lovers, that's a strange title for today, but everything has been about how we are the church or being the church, what it means to be part of the church. And for sure, I hope you, if you don't believe that now, I hope by the end of the service today, you would believe that the church is called to be lovers. That's what we're called to do, right? We've we spent uh, several weeks now, I think we're like on week 17, if I, if I had to guess, of the series, 1 Corinthians, and I just mentioned that because we're pretty thick into the book now. We're pretty far along on the journey of what it means to be the church, and I think it's interesting, uh, all that was shared up to this point as we got here, uh, this morning you heard Steve and Dale mention spiritual gifts, right? The gifts that God gives us through His Spirit was mentioned before this chapter of the book. And then, you remember last week we talked about belonging to one another, like a body being connected, right? So we're all connected together, placed by God, right? And that that came before this part of the book. You'll remember that... Before this came the story about not worshiping false gods and, and not causing a brother or sister to stumble because of your own freedom in Christ, right? You remember that? You remember the, the, uh, the, rem- the remembering of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in communion, and that was mentioned before, before Paul brings us to the issue of love. All these things kind of laying the groundwork to where Paul's trying to get the church to aspire to be, right? Love is a funny thing, right? Because you, there's a couple of different views of it. A lot of it has to do with like the heart thing, right? The cards that we send. We actually have a holiday that celebrates love, and, and we think of love in a very narrow band, I think, often, you know, what, what love is. And, and here, we're going to get into a, the part of Corinthians now, and you've heard it before, where it's very explicit. Like, the Bible makes very explicit what love is. That's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, given the cultural tendencies in love and thinking about love and proclamations about love. But those are often so narrow. And so today we're going to talk about being lovers and what that means. I bet... If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse read. The the verse is read so often at weddings that now, often, I shouldn't say now, I'm sure it's happened over the years, couples who are kind of more hip and trendy say, I don't want that said at my wedding. Because every wedding I go to, this is read. And I think that that's interesting. We're going to talk about that today. But you've heard these words before, but I wonder if we've thought about what they mean outside of the context of two people standing in the front of a room with a white dress on and a black tuxedo-ish kind of type thing, have we thought about the bigger implications of love beyond marriage? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I hope you're up for it. hope God reveals truth. We're going to pray that he does. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a chance to come now and sit at your feet and to learn from you. We pray, Father God, that you would teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit, not of man, not of worldly wisdom, not of our own thinking, but of you and who you are. Would you teach us today, Father? We ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding and insight for truth, that we might be changed. And then, Father, I pray that as we encounter you, we would not go away as the one who sees himself in a mirror and then does nothing about it, but we'll go away changed because we've encountered you, the very God who is love. 
We love you so much. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that forgives us for all of our sins. And we pray to you today in his name. Amen. All right, cool. So go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 31. We're going to actually pick up right where we dropped off last week, 12, 31. We, re- we read half of that verse last week. And then we're going to start in Corinthians 13 today. So I said Paul had mentioned a bunch of stuff before we get to 13, right? I only say that because we've heard this verse so much out of context. You have to drag everything with you into the love verse, or the love chapter. We have to drag all the stuff that Paul has taught before. And then what he's going to talk about after, because this is not the end of the book. Then he begins to integrate this concept into practice and what it looks like to love others. But here's how Paul starts in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. And now I will show you the most excellent way. So for all the things that Paul has said about communion and about worship and about being together and about belonging together and about spiritual gifts, Paul says this, and now I'm going to show you the most excellent way, the most premier way, the biggest thing that we need to be focusing on. So that's the first thing we have to realize, that love is the most excellent way. It's the most excellent way. Now, now, if you're a Bible scholar, and I hope that some of you are, and you're looking at the Word, I hope that you will see that he, Paul doesn't say, and now I will show you that love is the most excellent way. And you can say, oh, look, you know what? It doesn't say it there, Bill. It doesn't. You're absolutely right. It does not. It does not. But we know that Paul says, I'm about to show you the most excellent way. And then if you jump all the way down to the very end, he says this, and this is a spoiler. If you like reading the end of the book first. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And so he's bowing this all together. He's like making it one big narrative here about love, the most excellent way. So we know that love is the most excellent way. After all this talk about spiritual gifts. We know love is the most excellent way after all this talk about being the body of Christ. We, we know that love is the most excellent way after all this talk about remembering Jesus and his sacrifice and not forgetting all he has done for us. Everything he's taught so far has been profound. And yet this is the most profound. The funny thing to me is that if you talk to people, they will often act like they know what love is. All of us have categories we begin to interpret our life and we begin to define love by what we experience and if someone asks you what love looks like you'll often give them your definition of love but paul is going to say this is something we have to aspire to it's something we have to long for the word excellent here is interesting because it means that we have to try to love we have to make an effort to love that it is not something that comes naturally or inherently to us as a matter of fact, the word here is fascinating because it's called hyperbolon, and it means to throw a ball far so that you could ch- chase it. To, to throw something, not a ball, literally a ball, but you know what I mean? To throw a concept out there and say, now go get it. The image that comes to mind for me is like when you're playing fetch with a dog. You ever play fetch with a dog? So, like three of you are nodding your heads. The rest of you, go play fetch with a dog. Here's the fun game with the dog that chases a ball. By the way, my dog is lazy. He won't chase a ball. He just looks at you when you throw the ball. Like, doesn't know what to do with that information. He's not a very good 
dog, not a very good, he wouldn't be a very good church uh, member if, if he was, this was the application. But you take the ball and you say, you want the ball, you want the ball, you want the ball, go get the ball. And then he takes off, not my dog, my dog lays there, but your dog might, right? That's more fun when they do that, they go chase the, right? But then here's the funny thing about playing ball with a dog. If you do that enough times, the dog can't wait to chase the ball. To the point that if you act like you throw the ball, you stash the ball, he'll run around and look for the ball. Where's the ball? And then in that moment, I don't, hey, do you guys do that? Yeah. Because in that moment, I feel super superior. Like, I'm so much smarter than a dog. <laughs> a dog. But that's the kind of aspiration that, that Paul's calling for out of the church here. Go, go, go get the love. Go get the love. Where's the love? Where's the love? Where's the love? Where's the love? And you're out there and you're looking for it. And he's like, man, they don't even know I didn't throw the love this time, right? That's the most excellent way. That's what he's asking us for, that kind of energy and excitement, that kind of an effort or a thought, that kind of a way of being that we would be willing to pursue outside of our bounds of comfort, right? To ekbalo is to go beyond yourself, to go beyond your thinking and to aspire to something greater than ourselves. And this is what he says. So now this is the most excellent way, church. This is something we're going to long for. This is something that we're going to want. This is something we ought to want to do. I have a question for you. If someone were to ask you, what is the most excellent way to be a Christian? If someone were to ask you, what, was the what is the most excellent way to be a Christian? How many would answer love? Mike. Good for you, brother. Because I can think of a whole lot of ways I'd answer that question otherwise. Well, the way to be an excellent Christian would be um, to believe. Uh, the way to be an excellent Christian would be to uh, go to church. Oh, the way to be an excellent Christian would be to share the gospel. I would have a, a thousand answers. And maybe love. Maybe love. But this is what Paul says is the most excellent way. Remember, he's writing to the church of Jesus Christ. Those all places everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Those, that's us. That this is the most excellent way. And so if someone were to ask us that question, what's the most excellent way to be a Christian? We should be like to love. I mean, duh, right? It, it should be obvious. But so often it's not. So often in our lives, and maybe you're not like me, but it's not. So we're going to talk about then what this love looks like. Picking up now in verse, chapter uh, 13, verse 1. Paul then begins to expound on this most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have the faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. He begins to delineate things that we often think are love, are love. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard of a book called The Five Love Languages. I'm sure some of you have, right? And The Five Love Languages is an interesting study because it says that we often give and receive love in ways that we cannot understand from each other, right? Most often this is true in a marriage relationship, but it's true in any relationship, often, because we have a way that we tend to give love and receive love. Who, who can tell me what the five are who's read the book? Remember them? 
acts of service, physical touch, giving of gifts. Huh? Quality time. Words of affirmation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the, why would I, I even enumerate those? Because it delineates that many of us give and receive love in different ways, right? I don't have time to get off in the weeds and it's too much this morning. But the reality is that often we can be showing love, but not, but the person that we're showing love to isn't receiving what we're showing as love because they don't receive love in that way, right? So the, t- the, the um, typical example is like you have a words of affirmation person and a service person. And the words of affirmation is saying to the other person, I love you, I love you, because that means a lot and that's how they receive love. But the person who's acts of service doesn't feel less loving at all. But they're busy working away and the person who has words of affirmation doesn't feel loved at all. <laughs> so you have to show love in ways that it can be received. Well, Paul makes a point here though about language in particular, right? And here's what it says. Verse 1, if I am, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And the, the way I would put that is that love is more than empty words. More than empty words. Now, I'll be quick to point this out. He doesn't say it's not words. And, and we can read that and say, oh, don't tell people you love them. You know, show them you love them. No, he's not saying don't say words. He's saying words only don't show love. If I speak in the tongues of men, can you imagine this for a minute, by the way? We talked about the glossa, the language. If I speak in the language of angels, that's a pretty powerful thing. But he says, if I do those two things, but I don't have love, right? I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I wonder what that would sound like to have only words. I wonder if there's anything we could use to demonstrate what it would sound like. Other sticks over there? Somewhere. Oh, oh my goodness. Look at all these sticks. Not those. Yeah, okay. Look at this. That's why the kids go back there every week. <laughs> what would it sound like to have only words? Because i got to confess something to you all. I'm a words of affirmation guy. That's how I give and receive love. You can serve me all day. I have a really hard time understanding that kind of love. But words, this I understand. What does it sound like to be words only? Nope. This is the kind of sticks to get your kids, by the way, if they play drums in your house. How was that? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, Dale! My people! <laughs> that was annoying. That was super annoying. Yes, thank you, Gene. I appreciate the feedback. Don't do that again. Please stop. Stop making noise. This is where we actually get in our culture, people who are pushing back on 
thoughts and prayers. Please don't give me your thoughts and prayers. Please don't give me your thoughts and prayers. You know, when I hear that as a Christian, I get a little offended because I'm like, prayers are powerful things. It's not a joke to pray to the God who made you. It's not a joke to ask God for relief, for hope, for a future. And yet often the culture, when we only make noise and no more, it's like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It has no substance. It doesn't put any feet to our faith. And that's a problem. So it's got to be more than empty words. It has to be more than only the things that we say, but also the things that we do. As a matter of fact, Paul says here that I become, let me see where it says it here. If I speak in the tongues of angels and I uh, I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Check it out in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. Oh, it's in the first verse there. But it says to you, where's it at? If I, I am only a resounding uh, gong. It's, trust me, it's in there that it says, I've, be, I've become nothing. That's how it starts. It doesn't actually begin with, I am nothing. That's the second step. It says, I've become nothing. Which means what? That at first, our, our Christian love is more than words. That that's our experience of Christianity is it's more than words. It's not just words. And this is what Paul's calling the church back to. I have become, without love, I have become, or I've come into being nothing. So then let's read on. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, and I have not love, I am nothing. And so he lists out some great, great things there. If I have gifts of prophecy, right, that means talking about what God is doing right now. If I have powerful ability to reveal the truth of who God is and what he's doing. If I can fathom all mysteries, that's everything that's not understood. If I can fathom that, man, that would be a powerful thing, right? Like you would think, yes, that's, that's amazing. Or if I have all knowledge, if I, under, if I know everything, if I'm truly, truly am a know-it-all, I know everything, I can answer every question. Or, and the last one, if I have faith that can move mountains, like real faith, all those things are great things. And I look at that list and I'm like, yes, 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 that's what it means to be a Christian, to, to be able to, to you know, uh, unravel mysteries and be able to speak truth and be able to move mountains with your faith, yes. And he says, but I have not love, that means I don't possess it, I don't possess love, I am nothing. He's like, it's, it's worthless. It's valueless. I am worth nothing. Having all those things would seem like great things to have. I mean, can you imagine being able, can you imagine having a faith that can move mountains? Like, that's powerful. And yet Paul says, it's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, we are nothing without love. So I know the question then. What makes you valuable as a Christian? Are you something or nothing? What makes you valuable? Moving on, verse 3 then. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, 
That means I sacrifice my body. I, I, I give it over for, for boasting, though. We'll get to that in a moment. But I don't have love. I've gained nothing. And so this kind of goes three ways here. It says, I've become nothing. I am nothing. I gain nothing. I profit nothing. That's kind of the way this text steps through when Paul's breaking down these things that we would think are excellent, like good words, excellent, or um, the things that we uh, do in faith, excellent. Now here he says, giving away our possessions or handing our body over in order to boast about us handing our body over. There's a, there's a little parenthetical comment there that, that kind of makes that point that I would give my body over for the sake of boasting. Look at me sacrificing myself for all of you. That negates the gift. I don't think he's saying it's not important to give ourselves over for others. That's not the teaching here. But rather, doing so for the sake of boasting lacks love. It's not enough. Without love, I have not gained, I have not profited, I have not helped, I have not benefited, nothing. Nothing good has come of it. And that's a remarkable thing because you think, well, something good must have come from giving everything you possess to the poor. Something good must have come from that, right? And Paul says, no, nothing good has come from it. So it's more than words. I think I've skipped a couple things here, by the way. It's who we are. It's who we are. That's, we, we become nothing. We are nothing without love. So love is who we are. And then love is what we do. Love is what we do. So there's lots of doing in this past, in this verse 3. Giving yourselves to the poor or giving our bodies over for sacrifice. But without love, it's nothing. So love is what we do. It is, in fact, what we do. So the question then when Paul breaks down these things and he says, words are nothing, right? You become nothing. And then great acts of faith are nothing. And then all the effort you can make are of no value without love. This is all just set up. Begs the question. So what is love? What is love? Or what does, the, what does this love look like? And then Paul turns into it, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you know what love is? Love is perfect. And this makes me ask a question. Why would we read this at weddings? Why? Because some of you have been married. And if you're like me, you know, it's not always what marriage looks like not always perfect. So we're going to kind of walk through. This is why using this text only in the context of a marital commitment is not being uh, authentic with the, te- with the scriptures, right? It's trapped in the middle of a letter to the church. It's talking about perfect love. And we throw this out there 
and then we just pray for the couple, right? But this is bigger than marital love. You throw this out there and you just pray for your friendships. You throw this out there and you just pray for your parenting. You throw this out there and you just pray for your life because you know, just listening to the list of words, there's no way. There's no way this love can be lived out perfectly. Everything here is actionable. Here we go. We're going to run through the list. Love is patient. Patient means long-suffering, persevering, forbearing, right? It means withholding the tendency we have to burst out in anger. I didn't often connect patience with anger until I studied this this week, right? But it literally means a, a, that thing that you get to where you just can't hold it anymore. You, something's got to be said that's impatience. I, I've waited long enough. I've suffered long enough. I've had enough. And Paul writes to the church, no, love is patient. It's perfectly patient. It's always bearing more. It's, it's always waiting. It's with restraining our tendency to become angry when, when things don't go our way. Love is patient. Second thing then, love is kind. By the way, patience there is an active process of being patient. It's not a noun on a shelf, you know, that you are patient. No, you're being patient. It's a constant state. Love is kind. Kindness means to be proven useful, uh, to act benevolently, to be serviceable or, or pleasant, right? Just being nice is love. To not grow uh, frustrated or quick-tempered, but to be kind to others. It's so simple, though, you think about that, right? Love is patient, love is kind, and the words are so easy. You could almost say them from memory, and yet... It's hard to live. It's hard to find love like that. That's always patient, always kind. Going on a list, love is not envious, right? Now this is interesting because it goes from two affirmatives to a negative. It, it defines love, Paul defines love as patient, kind, and not envious. Love does not envy it's not jealous. It's not eager to possess something or someone else. It does not boil over with desire to control. That's not love. That's what the word means. Envious. It means to want what is not yours or to control things that are not yours to control. Love is not boastful. It's not showing off or, or bragging right? We're going to stay on that one for a minute because there's a few of these are kind of interlinked, but it's not boastful. That's not what love is. Doesn't, doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag about being love. It's like, look how loving I am because I love, and love is awesome. It's not what it is. Love is not proud. That's, that's very closely tied to the idea of boasting, but it's, it's a bit different. Proud is being puffed up or being self-inflated, or being arrogant, right? That's not what love is. So those are real hard things because when we're perceived as arrogant, we're perceived as unloving because love is not 
arrogant or proud. It is not rude. We're still on the not list here. It's not rude. And you would think, well, that, that's, um, that's the same thing as like uh, being kind, right? Being kind is the opposite of being rude. So if it's, if it's kind, it's not rude. You would think, yes, that's, that's true. But the word is a little different. It means to not be dishonoring to others. Rudeness is not just like slamming door in someone's face. It, it, it's ways that we dishonor people. The love is not dishonoring to other people. Uh, it does not act unbecomingly. Love is not unpresentable in public or private contexts. Um, it's not indecency. You see? It's, it's, it, it, it values. It doesn't dishonor. It honors. And so, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Now, this, this one's kind of self-defining, but it doesn't pursue its own ends. It doesn't pursue its own desires. This is a really hard thing to get our heads around, but love doesn't pursue itself, right? Love, there's an object of love that is not love, love self, right? So it's not self-seeking. It's not self-centered. It's not what can I get out of this, but it's pursuing something else besides self. Love does. Doesn't pursue its own. Love is not easily angered. I believe that's where we are. Yeah, not easily angered. It's not provoked easily. You can't, you can't artificially stimulate love. You can't, you can't get it to get off its game. Does that make sense? It means to make sharp or, or to... Uh, uh, impale or pierce, you know, to, to annoy love. It's, it's hard. You can't annoy love because it's not easily angered. Can't get irritated. Love is not like that. It's not easily angered, not irritated, not sharp and cutting. It's not love. Here, man, and then we just get off in the weeds here. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not counting or charging or deciding or concluding or supposing bad or evil intent or malice. That's what it means to, to count a record of wrongs. You're not sitting there going, how many ways have they hurt me? You're not keeping a list of these things. You're not deciding. They're obviously evil because, and then you have your list of things you've been keeping in your mind. You, you've been tracking it. That's not what love does. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep recounting the things, the failures, the hurts. That's not love. Love does not delight in evil. That means rejoicing, like literally, like cheering at a ball game. We talked about that last week or two. That's not what love does. It doesn't rejoice or celebrate. It doesn't cheer. What? It doesn't rejoice, celebrate, or cheer. Injustice. There's no celebration of injustice when there's love. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't celebrate unrighteousness. Love doesn't celebrate hurt or pain or loss. Love doesn't celebrate wrongs. You're so wrong, right? That's not love. Doesn't mean there aren't wrongs, but that's not what love celebrates, rejoices in. What would be the opposite of that? Some of the stuff we have to do a little work and say, well, what would be the opposite? Would it be grieving loss? Grieving hurts? Grieving injustice? 
grieving wrong, grieving with people, doesn't celebrate it. But love celebrates the truth. By the way, it's interesting. There is the conjunction there. This is the only place in the list we find the conjunction, but it's set against the last one. It does not keep a record of wrongs, but it, I'm sorry, it does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth, right? So it's an opposite thing. So instead of rejoicing in evil, it rejoices in truth. This means that it celebrates or congratulates truth or reality, sincerity, revelation, or facts. Celebrate facts is to be loving. To be able to say, you're right, is to be loving whenever truth is being spoken. We always rejoice with the truth when we love. This is part of the gift. Does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then we get into the always now. So we've had some, some pros, some cons, some pros, and then now we're going to get some alwayses here, right? It always protects. What does that mean? It means it covers or shelters. It bears up under. It literally means to put a roof over something, right? This morning's rain was fun because I had a roof. If I didn't have a roof, it probably wouldn't be fun, right? The walk to the car wasn't super fun without a roof. What does love do? It always protects, always shelters. It's always bearing up. It's always shielding. I don't know if we often think about shielding, like a roof shielding or, you know, having some covering, being a shield over us. But this is what love does, and, and love protects all. The word there is panta. It's said three times here, and it means each and every, it all. Each and every love protects Literally like, like a, a, a roof over people and things. This is what love does. Love always trusts. It means it believes. It has faith in. It has confidence in all things. Love always trusts, right? This again is the same idea. Each and every time, each and every time, love trusts. Love believes tied closely to trust is hope and love always hopes it expects and it waits this is kind of tied a little bit to patience right it kind of seems a little similar to patience but it always hopes because it always expects better things it's always looking forward towards something else it's always trusting in and looking toward other things this is hope but this is especially true, listen to me, for the people of God. There's nothing more discouraging than hopeless believers, if there is such a thing. <laughs> because we ought not be without hope. Because love always hopes. It's especially true when we look toward God's fulfillment, that we expect what's coming next. This is why, to put a really fine point on it, we grieve but not as those without hope. Because we know God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. Okay, so that's always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This means it remains behind. The last person standing 
is love. Stands its ground. It shows endurance. It bears up, but not just protecting, but against everything. Literally, love is holding everything together. Persevering. Enduring. Long-suffering. Always perseveres. And then, famously, this final sentence, love never fails. The ultimate exclusion. It never, ever, ever fails. It never falls down. It never comes up short. What? This is just stunning to me that we take this text, 4 through 8, we lift it from Scripture, and we lay it over with no kind of context, and we think it's going to all work out. And then we get married, or we get in a relationship, because it's not just marriages, or we have kids, and then we realize over and over again, we're inadequate. We, we don't experience perfect love. We don't give and receive perfect love. But that's what Paul says it is. Make no mistake about it. That's exactly what he says love looks like. Here's some couple thoughts. I want to leave you with, with this idea. How have you defined love? Do you define it like this? Or by what you've experienced? Because our experiences can be crazy. And it's not love. But if you honestly look at your life and look at Paul's list here in 1 Corinthians 13, you can't help but find there's lack. It's not adequate what we've experienced. The way we've loved others and been loved by them isn't enough to be this kind of love. One other thought, every one of those is a verb. Even the things it's not are verbs. They're actions. They're not feelings. They're not thoughts. They're not emotions. They're behavior. You are patient. You are kind. You do not boast. These are things that we do. Actionable items. Remember Paul laid that right on the heels of, of um, the idea that uh, we're nothing without love. <laughs> this perfect love is who we are aspiring to be. Well, why do we put this out at weddings? One last time I'm going to ask that question. Because it's worth aspiring to, right? I mean, if you're going to hold up a standard for love, this is a pretty good standard going to fail, not going to meet it all the time, but it's pretty good aspirationally. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. Because it, if you take this text out of the context of a letter to the church, to those who are believing and calling the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you set people up for failure. You can't do it apart from Christ. You can't. We'll come back to that. But that's perfect love. Verse 9, 8b. But where there are prophecies, they will stop. Now he's back in the prophetic word, right? And where there are tongues, glosa, they will be stilled. See, there's going to come a day when no more words will be said. No more symbols will be rang. Where, where there is knowledge, it will fade away. Even the things that we know, the things that we hold fast to, the things we know we can count on will disappear. 
For we now know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. See, and if you read there in 10, there's an aspiration, an aspiration to hope that Paul's longing for. But when perfection comes, see, when the perfect love shows up, then these things that were less than love disappear, right? So the prophecies will disappear when, when the perfection of love shows up or, or the, uh, the knowledge we have will disappear when the perfection of love shows up. The li limited knowledge that we have will disappear in the grandeur of the perfection revealed. And it says what? That the imperfect will then disappear. Verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. So we're going to now talk about uh, transformation. That there's this coming perfection, and that in this coming perfection, God is being made known. So love is made known. It's revealed to us. I want you to see that there's a few progressions here we want to look at. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, what? You can go back into the first part. I no longer talked like a child. I no longer thought like a child. And I no longer reasoned like a child. I put those things behind me. That's a transformation. Love made known, right? Or this. Now we see as a poor reflection, as in a mirror. We can get some glimpses. We can't see it clearly. But then we will know fully, face to face. Look at the difference there. Not looking at our own image, looking at what we are, but seeing face to face what's truly real, what perfection looks like, what love is. It's being made known. By the way, this is why... why um, I was telling my wife on the way in this morning, I read a great article, and it said, trying to figure out your own problems isn't a great strategy because you're looking at your own brokenness. Rather, look to Christ. This is for believers, but look to Christ to solve your problems. Not to solve your problems for you, but to see what your problem solutions look like, right? This is what it says here. Not looking in a mirror as a poor reflection, but looking face to face. This is what it looks like to love, to be loved. That's what Paul says. Now I know in part, then I will fully know even as I am fully known. I just want to sit on that for a minute. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know even as I am fully known. I often hear people say, if you really knew me, you know what? They're right. I don't. And I can say to you, if you really knew me, and you say, I know you, but you really don't. But here's the truth. This is the truth of the gospel, that there's a God who knows us, who does know us, and whom we're fully known. And this begins to undergird and underpin all of our life in Christ because we can have confidence and hope that he knows what he's doing because he knows us. But the things that we experience, the people that we are in our life with, he's placed us there for a purpose. And we're known by him. It's no mystery. Now we know in part, we see little glimpses of what God is doing. We might get little respites and see glances. But the truth is that there'll come a day when we fully known, we'll, we will fully know and be fully known by God. This is love. 
This is a powerful thing to be known. There's an epidemic in our culture, right? An epidemic showing up in a whole bunch of different ways. People hate each other, get crazy. There was something happening the other day. I can't think of what it was. But someone just got all crazy, like out of the blue. And I'm like, why are you being crazy? Like nothing, nothing just happened here. But they were being crazy. Maybe I was being crazy. Um, epidemic of drug use. People just finding places to hide. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. Epidemic of loneliness. Nobody has time for me. It's ironic because we're, we're more connected than ever, but more, more disconnected and isolated than ever. But love is made known. It's seeing each other. That's powerful, church, to look and to see. So we do some of this, but the reality is that there's a God who knows us, and that's what we hold on to. That's the reality. We are known, fully known. And then verse 13, and now, Paul says, after writing this most excellent way, throwing the ball for us to go chase, in these perfect ways, he says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And I would interpret this a couple different ways. One is that love is enduring. Love is enduring. And we heard that earlier. It doesn't fail. It lasts. It bears up, right? That, that this aspiration that Paul is calling us to is a lasting aspiration. The gifts will cease, right? That's what it says in verse 8. These gifts will cease. Tongues will be stilled, but love will endure. The love that we've had will last. The love that we know will last. But then he says this, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. I always thought this was interesting because the only way you can say that is like this, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. I always think of Muhammad Ali when I hear that, right? I am the greatest. You're not the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Love is the greatest, right? Love is the greatest because it supersedes these other things. How so? Faith is believing in something that is not yet right? Hope is believing in things that are not yet seen as if they are seen. But love is. Love is. And there's this reality that um, love will be eternal in this way. We will always know love. So why bring all this up, right? Because why would Paul, after all this talk about rules and regulations and what to do and not to do and how to care for brothers and sisters, how to discern and how to remember Jesus, why would he now say, but this is the most excellent way. This is the thing you should pursue and chase after. When we just read, and it sounds kind of impossible to do. Is it even possible to love like this? Here's the truth. And, and this is a lifetime of application of this text to your heart. As much as you want to read, maybe, as much as I tend to read these lists of actions of love and say, man, I failed there, I failed there, I don't do that, I don't do that, nobody does this for me, does that for me. I want us to get this in our heart that God loves us like that. That God loves us with patience. And he loves us with kindness. 
And he loves us in ways to not be envious. He doesn't demand things of us. That this love that I've just read about, that we aspire to, but we don't attain, is given to us in Christ Jesus. And the proof is that we're still here. The proof is that we're still enduring. Jesus Christ loves us like that. And not loved, past tense, but loves us like that. The cross of Christ demonstrates love like that. And it's ours to have. Now, when we know that, perfection has come. We know that he has done this for us. Well, then we can live into this with him. That's fair. But we ought not to do this without him. I don't know if you believe that today. I don't know if you believe that, that God loves you perfectly. You see, you would think, you would think, you say, oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, we, we, we know God loves perfectly, right? But I hear stuff all the time, like, I'm an accident, or I don't belong here, or this is some kind of mistake, or this isn't the right life for me. I mean, people say this stuff out loud all the time to me. And I'm like, wait a minute, God made you. God put you here. God made this moment right now for me to look at you and, and, and speak truth into your life. God made you put you here to speak truth into my life. That's not true. That you're a mistake. God loves us perfectly and he knows what he's doing. If you don't know that, I pray you open yourself to it today. Just the possibility that God knows what he's doing and he loves you right where you are. I'm going to pray. You can pray with me. We acknowledge we fail at these things, but we trust God to save us and to do more in our lives. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much this morning for your word and for your perfect love, the love that surpasses all understanding, the love that we can't even get our heads fully around, that you have given yourself to us that we could be free. And oh Lord, not that you gave your son on the cross only, that was a irreplaceable gift that we could never have hoped for or imagined and not that you've made atonement for all of our sins that we would be paying for forever were it not for you were it not for the gift you gave in the blood of Jesus Christ but father you give us your Holy Spirit to call us into this great and overarching love that you've awakened our soul to hear you and to respond to you and to have heartache in this life when we see things aren't right when we see in our own lives things aren't right, we thank you for the Holy Spirit in us that's teaching us and growing us. And maybe there's a brother or sister here today that don't think yet that the gospel applies to them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach them that, that you gave yourself that they could be free, that they would not bear the burden of their sin unto death, but they would be set free for eternity of love. And oh Lord, that we would respond to, to the things you show us, that we would have an awakening in our spiritual lives. We would know you and believe you all the more. May you be glorified, Father. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who gave everything for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. May you be glorified as we continue to pursue you together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.